Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. A fast-moving wildfire in the Sierra foothills along the Amador and Calaveras County border has burned nearly a 1,000 acres. The fire started yesterday afternoon near Vox Beach in Amador County. It forced about 100 people celebrating the 4th of July at the beach to evacuate to a nearby Pacific Gas and Electric facility. John Sullivan was one of those forced to evacuate with his family. He tells CBS 13 in Sacramento, when people tried to leave the area, the fire quickly spread out of control. It kind of took over the road in front of us. We had to turn around. Uh, we're all very positive that we're, we, we know that the worst of it's gone past us already and we're going we're gonna to make it home. And they did. The Amador County Sheriff's Office says the large group was able to leave the PG&E facility safely late last night. Now, more than 10,000 PG&E customers are without power this morning as a utility turned off some of its power lines over safety concerns. Hundreds of structures are said to be threatened by the blaze, but it's unclear if any have been damaged thus far. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Sticking with fires, California has entered the hottest and driest months of the year, and the Bay Area faces a treacherous fire season. KQED climate editor Kevin Stark has the details of the latest wildfire forecast. The potential for wildfire is above normal across northern and central California through the fall. That's according to a wildland fire forecast from the National Interagency Fire Center. Severe or worse drought conditions gripped the vast majority of the state. Small grass and vegetation fires touched off across the Bay Area in June, where brush and trees rapidly dried out after baking under a series of heat waves intensified by climate change. Fire agencies expect cool ocean air and fog to limit the threat along the Bay Area's coastline and further south at least through July. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. It's July, which means the hottest and smoggiest days are ahead of us. And that dangerous mix of higher temperatures and air pollution in California also means a higher spike in deaths. KCRW's Kaylee Wells has the details. Researchers at USC looked at data for 1.5 million California deaths. They found that on really smoggy days, the death rate went up 5%. On really hot days, it went up 6%. But on days that were really hot and smoggy, death rates increased more than 20%. So they both impact common biological pathways. Erica Garcia at USC's Keck School of Medicine was the study's senior author. We also saw similarly the pattern of this, you know, co-exposure to the extremes being more than the sum of the parts of the individual exposures. She says that exposure to pollution and heat impacted respiratory and cardiovascular deaths. And adults 75 and older were at the highest risk. Co-exposure increased their mortality risk by more than 35 percent. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. Climate change is leading to more extreme weather conditions across California. And during the summer months, extreme heat can be more than just annoyance. It's downright dangerous. 
Now, as we hear from the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi, the city of Los Angeles is launching a campaign to warn the public about the dangers of overheating. Marta Segura was named chief heat officer in Los Angeles last month. In her new position, she's been tasked with coordinating a better response to extreme heat and developing long-term strategies to reduce dangerous heat exposure. We aren't recognizing that the heat waves are longer, so people aren't preparing. And they're getting hospitalized and not knowing why they're getting hospitalized. And hospitals are still undercounting them. And we aren't really, we don't really have great numbers. Since taking her position in early June, Segura has worked with other departments in Los Angeles on some possible tangible solutions. That includes working to modify building codes and installing more structures that provide shade and hydration stations in the community. And starting this month, they've launched an education campaign, particularly in underserved communities of Los Angeles, where extreme heat can be even more dangerous. Anyone who serves the public and serves the community is going to be invited to be a partner in this heat relief network. And we want all of our partners in that network to send out information, share information um, regarding the risks and dangers and of extreme heat and how to plan and prepare and be proactive. The plan is to initially launch messaging in English and Spanish, but to eventually include more languages for communities that may be hit hard by extreme heat conditions. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. I'm Jason Flom. And you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Two Omicron subvariants are causing growing concerns here in California. The BA4 and BA5 subvariants are believed to be responsible for the majority of new COVID-19 infections in the U.S. And L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says there's also major concerns about people testing positive a second time. BA.4, BA.5, special concern because of their apparent ability to cause reinfections in people who were already infected with other Omicron subvariants, and because there's strong evidence that they can spread faster than other subvariants. Ferrer says lab studies show BA4 and BA5 are also more capable of infecting lung cells than previous Omicron subvariants. According to the latest numbers from the California Department of Public Health, the state's coronavirus test positivity rate is up more than 2 percent from the previous seven-day period. And in the last two weeks, there's been a 12 percent increase in new daily cases. About two-thirds of the state's counties are now in the high COVID-19 community level, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC recommends universal indoor masking for counties that are in that tier. 
In other COVID-19-related news, the state budget approved by Governor Gavin Newsom last week includes $100 million to help children whose parents died from COVID. KQED's Maria Fernanda Bernal has more. The Hope for Children Act, the state's first baby bond program, will create savings accounts with $4,000 deposited for kids younger than 9 and $8,000 for ages 10 to 17. Kate McLaughlin, a widow and a mother of a four-year-old, said the bill will help lower-income families and families of color who were disproportionately harmed by COVID. It sends a message that California really wants to support these families because we've been devastated by this. The program is expected to serve around 32,000 COVID orphans and long-term state foster youth. For the California Report, I'm Maria Fernanda Bernal in San Francisco. In other news, as of July 1st, millions of renters in L.A. County received stronger protections against eviction. KPCC reporter David Wagner breaks down the new rules. When it comes to L.A. tenant protections during the pandemic, change is the only constant. And on July 1st, the rules were once again in flux. A weaker state law went away and stronger L.A. County protections returned. That all means that, for example, an East L.A. restaurant worker who could have been evicted for falling behind on rent last month while sick with COVID will now be protected from eviction. Trinidad Ocampo with Neighborhood Legal Services of L.A. County says many households are still recovering from long spells of unemployment. Any type of protection that allows a tenant to affirmatively defend themselves against a non-payment of rent eviction is incredibly helpful. The county's protections will only cover lower-income households, but they could still prevent scores of evictions. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, about 17 percent of L.A. area tenant households are behind on rent. For the California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. Even before the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, there was a renewed focus on California as an abortion sanctuary state. Now, in the wake of the decision, we are expecting a wave of -of out-of-state residents seeking abortion care. But there are plenty of Californians who don't have easy access to abortion either. And a big chunk of them are from my home region, the Central Valley. Lauren Jennings has been reporting on abortion deserts in the Central Valley for the Visalia Times Delta and joins me now. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks for having me. So in the Central Valley, we know that there can be miles and miles between small towns and the bigger cities, especially in counties like Tulare. What do you see as the biggest hurdle for people seeking abortions in this area? Well, yeah. So geography is, I mean, one of the biggest issues that residents throughout Tulare County and Kings County and even Kern County, like all of those residents face that that specific issue. Most of them have to end up driving sometimes more than 45 miles, you know, just one one way to get to a clinic and others have to drive hours. So I would say geography is the biggest hurdle. In your reporting, you mentioned the city of Visalia's efforts to approve an additional Planned Parenthood to meet the needs of the community earlier this year. It sounds like it received a lot of backlash from pro-life residents, and that actually had some consequences. Can you describe the situation and what has transpired since? Yeah, so originally when the Planned Parenthood was approved to go in, the community or community members began speaking up, really. Despite this site not offering on-site abortions, most community members were speaking out, saying that they didn't want even just the label abortion kind of being thrown into people's faces throughout Tulare County. So 
that was one of the main issues. Um, one of the people who ended up speaking out against it also thought that parking would be a concern because there were a few parking spots and they own some of the nearby areas. And so they were afraid that if there were any protests, well, that their businesses would be impacted as well. So parking was kind of an issue there. But I would say... Um, when I spoke with Lauren Babb, she works with Planned Parenthood in the Marmonte area. They're still heavily looking at like every every week, every month for a location so that in that way Tulare County can continue to have this access. Um, it's still on their list of places where, you know, they, they recognize we need this, that it's something that's lacking here in the valley and that they need to get it to us. And if not, we're just going to continue to suffer. And then what was the public sentiment in these more rural areas when the Supreme Court's decision was announced? For our area, I mean, we ha- we had people from both sides of the aisle, I guess. Um, you know, there were people rejoicing for the decision and were happy it was overturned. And then people on the streets crying, just, you know, uh, absolutely devastated. And I think that there are people who realize that this will directly impact Clary County because of their teen pregnancy rates. Like you mentioned at the start of this, although California is a sanctuary state, doesn't mean everybody here has access. And like if our areas are already, you know, overwhelmed, this is just going to become harder and harder for those people working there. That was Lauren Jennings, a reporter for the Visalia Delta Times. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. Thank you so much. And finally, as public concerns about crime and safety grow, some California police departments say they face a growing number of officers leaving their jobs. The situation is especially acute in one city, according to law enforcement there. Here's the California Report's Saul Gonzalez. The San Diego Union reports that in the last fiscal year, more than 230 officers left San Diego's police department, a more than 50% increase compared to the previous year. Those leaving include everyone from patrol officers and homicide detectives to canine handlers and helicopter pilots. Why the law enforcement exodus? Well, the city's police union blames San Diego's COVID vaccine mandate for public employees and falling morale because of increased scrutiny of police practices. San Diego's mayor, Todd Gloria, says he's committed to law enforcement reform, but to retain officers, San Diego has boosted police pay by 10% and redoubled recruiting efforts like this promotional video on social media. Being part of the San Diego Police Department is a life-changing experience, and there's nothing I'd rather be doing. SDPD. One team, one mission. And San Diego isn't the only California city trying to recruit more law enforcement personnel. San Francisco's police department says it has hundreds of open job vacancies, both uniformed and civilian. In response, Mayor London Breed has proposed raising police pay and retention bonuses. For the California Report, I'm Saul Gonzalez. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, July 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. I'm Jason Flom. And you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.